0: The moment of generating wealth in your life is like having uh, the greatest bowl of ice cream you've ever had. It's awesome. And you're gonna be like, this is amazing. And then it will wear off very rapidly, more rapidly than you can imagine.
1: Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show, where we have conversations with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, athletes, best-selling authors who are using their impact moment to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. Each week, our guest is part of a series such as mindset, leadership, purpose, and in this case, belief. Belief is a powerful thing. Think about it for a moment. Sow a thought, reap an act that is part of a quote from one of my favorite quotes by Charles Reed. Sow a thought, reap an act. That little space between the thought and the act is a critical time and worth pausing to consider. Essentially, the only thing preventing you from taking action in some way, shape, or form is whether you believe that you are capable of doing it, not whether you will be successful doing it, but simply whether you believe you are capable. Over the course of the next few weeks, we will take time learning from some of the best minds in this area, and I'm excited and I hope you are too. Now enough from me, let's hear about our guests. There are some people who say you are either are born an entrepreneur or you're not, and we reject that theory entirely here at the Impact Entrepreneur Show, and so does our returning guest, Tom Bilyeu, CEO of of Impact Theory and the co-founder of Quest Nutrition. Tom is passionate about pulling people out of the quote matrix by helping them overcome the limiting beliefs that hold them back from expressing their true potential. If you wanna take advantage of your latent potential, it's important to shift your beliefs. You can't necessarily do everything, but you can learn how to do almost anything if you put in the effort. So in my conversation with Tom, we talk about how to grow a healthy mindset, conquering your fear, and the role that money plays in fulfilling your potential. Bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Tom Billu, welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Stoked to have you. As I was mentioning to you earlier, you were like guest. 17 when I launched this bad boy a while back so welcome back to the show
0: dude I'm honored to be here thanks for having me
1: and there's been a lot of changes in in your life in the last uh, year or so hey yes <laughs> so you've been a busy busy man
0: no question
1: yeah that's awesome and one of one of the favorite adjustments I've seen recently is you always talked about your wife Lisa in, in the past but you You know, she was always behind the camera, so to speak. Yes. Now she's really, you know, she's in in the forefront. She's this is a joint venture you guys are doing, and um, and so we'll we'll talk a little bit about your relationship and and how important that is, and and uh, the unique things you're doing in that regard uh, along the way of our conversation. So awesome. You know, there's a contingent of people in the entrepreneurial world that that say that you're either born an entrepreneur. (laughs) <laughs> or, or not, right? Yeah, and and I reject that entirely, and I know you do too. And in fact, I can hear the passion—not just the passion, but like it's passion with like a little film of of frustration and rage at those people in your <laughs> voice.
0: Yeah, that's fair.
1: So I, I I'd love to learn a little bit about why that specific top, topic and and fallacy is so important for you to just punch in the face.
0: It's the thing that is really most fundamental to what I want to do in my life. So my goal is to pull people out of the matrix. And by that, I mean, there's a set of limiting beliefs that people have that hold them back from really expressing their true potential. And I believe that humans are this big bundle of latent potential and the meaning of life is to see how much of that potential you can actually transform into action and accomplishment. And if people have the belief that either they're born one way or they're not, that's like the most fundamental limiting belief that you could possibly have is that oh I was dealt a hand of cards and and that's that and while it is I think patently obvious that we are not truly amorphous blobs that you know can shape shift into anything so um, there are things like basketball where hey height would be advantageous and I get that if you want to if you're five foot one and you want to be a truly world-class basketball player, that is completely possible. And that understanding, understanding that there are ways to overcome essentially any obstacle. um, In fact, I'll even be more aggressive. There are ways to overcome any obstacle. And if you're born five foot one and you want to become the greatest basketball player of all time, that is absolutely possible. Here's the catch. You're probably going to have to deal with height Either that or you're going to have to get people to change the rules of basketball and lower the hoop or something. Um, But it is possible, right? So it's possible to terraform Mars. It's possible to create artificial intelligence. It's possible to build rocket ships. I mean, there's all kinds of things that are possible that are going to take a whole lot of effort and work. So if somebody told me, hey, I want to become the greatest basketball player of all time, but unfortunately I'm five foot one, I would say, like, gun to my head if that actually had to become true. I would say, first and foremost, you need to focus on Longevity, because you're going to need to buy yourself a very long timeline in order to solve some of the problems. You may also need to deal with height. So, there are already things that people can do to make somebody um, taller. This is procedures being done right now where they break your bones, they lengthen them, they heal, and over time you get taller. Right now, it's a really horrific and clumsy process. I'm just saying there are ways to do things like that. Once you start thinking at that level, you begin to realize that the limiting belief you had was oh, within the current paradigm, being five foot one, I could never become the greatest of all time. Okay, cool, that's probably true. But who said you can't change the paradigm? And I want people to start thinking like that. There are ways for you to do that kind of thing. There are ways for you to execute against anything you want to do. Now, you may not be willing to put in the time and the effort. It may currently be something that's beyond a single human lifespan, so you'd have to attack human lifespan, but it is possible. So once people begin to think like that, even if I'm wrong... The, the distance farther that people will go once they allow themselves to believe that, even if it's false, is so much more than if they simply embrace the idea that, well, I was dealt a certain deck and I can only double down on my strengths. Because then what happens when somebody does a real honest self-assessment and realizes I don't really
1: have any potent strengths? Dude, there's so much there. Have you ever heard of Dr. Albert Bandura's work on self-efficacy? I have not
0: but you had me at self-efficacy.
1: Okay. So, you know, he's part of the, you know, you of course you know who Dr. Martin Seligman is of the, you know, the father of positive psychology and all that stuff and then and then you tie the positive psychology movement and learned optimism and you tie that in with self-efficacy, which is proving to yourself that you can do things. Uh you you bring those two things together and and really it's it's amazing what can happen and how easy it becomes to prove to yourself that if you try new things and you build up the skills and you put in the time and the effort you can accomplish almost anything but there's also like in everything there's like that spectrum right there's certain people that they're overconfident and so they end up making decisions that could put themselves in in harm's way and there's also the people that that are well underconfident uh, or have very low belief in what they're able to do and therefore they don't do anything and they end up sitting on the couch and and ultimately withering away but there's this like spot in the middle where i think you exist where i am really trying to overcome some of my own limiting beliefs and accomplish really incredible things one Quick story about this guy I just interviewed named Dave Munson, he's the founder of this company called Saddleback Leather Company. They make amazing, beautiful bags. And this guy has got an incredible story. He was a volunteer English teacher in Mexico. He wanted an Indiana style Jones bag. Nobody was making it, so he hired some leather guy to make it for him. He brought it back to the States. People loved the work. So he went back down there to Mexico and started mil- making all of these things. One of the ways this guy has become so successful is he's always saying yes. He's always raising his hand and saying yes and trying new things and putting himself in situations where he has to build this confidence to include fighting a bull. <laughs> he was in Mexico and somebody, uh, you know, they, they were in this rodeo or whatever. And the guy that was supposed to fight the bull didn't show up. And so they asked the audience if anybody was in here that had had fought a bull before or wanted to fight a bull. And so this guy ends up raising his hands and says, sure, I will fight the bull for you. And he didn't, he didn't have any experience. That's kind of an example of maybe being overconfident, but nevertheless, he survived and now he has an incredible company. But it's a belief that you're capable of doing something. Beyond comprehension, that propels you and I into success. And I totally agree with you about the, the the comment about the latent potential. When we are kids, when we're children, even like between the ages of zero and I think five, you know, we really have this wild sense of we can do anything, we can be anything. People tell us all the time you can be anything. And then suddenly, life happens, we start to adopt these fallacies, we start to encounter our own walls, like you know, touching a stove actually does burn, and maybe we can't jump as high as we thought, and suddenly we start realizing all of these things, and, and slowly our belief kind of dissipates to this place where Martin Seligman calls it learned helplessness. And we have to work to overcome that. So I'd love for you to elaborate a little bit on how people can just bust through this latent potential and stir it up.
0: Well, going back to what you were saying about belief and the story of uh, Mumson becoming a bullfighter uh, without any previous experience, I will say this. I actually don't believe that we're you know, capable of anything. I don't have a belief in myself that I can go and do anything. What I have a belief in, and this is what I highly encourage everyone to cultivate and to prove to themselves, I have the belief that I can learn anything. So I'm not going to raise my hand and say, oh yeah, throw me into the ring with the (laughs) bull. What I'm going to do is say, okay, if I need to become the greatest bullfighter ever, or I just need to become excellent at it, that I trust that I will put in the work to learn that. And because I believe that I can learn anything that I set my mind to, I can become great at anything that I set my mind to, that is the, the belief that I want people to get out from under. Because to your earlier point, it's like, you can be overconfident and really put yourself in a stupid situation. And honestly, Honestly, I'd rather be on that side of the equation than underconfident and constantly under believing in myself. But I think the more important thing is to shift your belief, not to, I can do anything, but I can learn to do anything
1: mm. and putting the effort into getting great. Did you always have this kind of learner's mentality? Did you always believe that you could learn any, everything or anything? Absolutely not.
0: And I, I come from a grand tradition of fixed mindset. And growing up, uh, my parents had fixed mindsets and I had a fixed mindset and was just trying to keep my head down, do as little work as possible and avoid punishment at all costs. And I was having so much trouble reconciling that with also having these really big dreams. And so it's like, I have these big dreams, but life is sort of teaching me through experience that I'm not good enough. And what do you do with that? When you have a fixed mindset and grand ambition and life is telling you that you're not good enough, it's like, oh man. That was really hard. And I actually sought out a new belief system largely because the world was making me feel really badly about myself. I was failing at things that I wanted to be great, about, great at. I cared deeply about becoming a filmmaker and just was learning I wasn't a very good filmmaker. So if my talents and intelligence were fixed traits, I could never be improved. It was basically a life of misery. And I, at that time, I actually, have you ever seen the movie Amadeus? Yes. All right, so in that movie, there's the character Solieri, and Solieri says, I'm just talented enough to recognize how much better Mozart is. And that just destroyed him. And that's where I was. And I actually self-identified as Solieri. Like, I'm just smart enough to realize how much smarter all these other people are and that they're, they're just destined to create things that I'm never gonna be able to create because they're smarter than me and they were just born smarter. They didn't do anything to earn that. I didn't do anything to like deserve to be punished and that's where I lived. And it was really paralyzing and really demoralizing, but it was so painful that it forced me to find a way out of that by coming to believe something different. And the thing that I came to believe that really set me free was a growth mindset that, wait a second, your talent and your intelligence are not fixed traits that through enough hard work, disciplined effort that you actually can get smarter. You actually can get better. You can learn any skill um, and that set me free.
1: How did you develop and nurture that belief? At what point, like in your childhood or, or maybe even high school or college years, where was that turning point for you?
0: It well, it started so there was no just sort of one moment, and I go from being really unhappy to loving my life. It unfortunately wasn't that simple, but it started in a moment of crisis. And I went to film school, and my first two years, I worked really, really hard just to get into film school. I had to get really good grades, so I essentially locked myself in a room for two years. I'm not kidding. I didn't date, I didn't drink, I didn't do anything but study. And because I got such a good grades, I got into film school and then I actually did really well at the beginning of film school. And so, like film production is two years for the first year and a half, I was doing really well. I would say that I was towards the top of my class. I was recognized by my classmates as doing very well. So I ended up getting selected to be one of the four people in the entire class that gets to direct a senior thesis film. And That film went so poorly and I failed so miserably that I came face to face with the fact that I'm not a quote unquote talented filmmaker. And up until that point, I was doing well enough that I believed, oh, I'm just naturally gifted at this and, you know. I'm going to be one of the greats. And I just, I was born with something other people weren't born with, and then was hit smack dab in the face with, nope, that's actually not true. And you don't have raw talent. And because of that, you were totally lost in this, you know, now more complicated film. And it just came out atrociously. And Then, by the way, that's right at graduation, so I no longer have like teachers and mentors and things that like help me deal with this loss and really teach me how to come back from them. It was like, you're a terrible filmmaker, you graduated, bye. And so I was really adrift at that moment, but was so profoundly unhappy that I was just desperate for a new belief system. And I didn't have the words to articulate it like that. I was just Searching desperately for somebody to tell me everything was going to be okay, mm. and thankfully, what I turned to was reading and reading, 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 and just trying to learn. And in that process, began to realize, wait a second, like learning's a real thing, and how far can I push that? Like, how much can I learn? Could I learn to be a good filmmaker? And so, in that like desperation, I began to realize that there were other filmmakers who. Use tools and techniques that seemed like they would be really advantageous to me. And then really, luck upon luck, I became a teacher and I was teaching filmmaking. And I saw that just by the things that I taught the students, that they would get better. And so that reinforced in my mind this notion of, okay, wait, I'm watching them get better in real time. So getting better is clearly a real thing. Like, how far can I push my own sense of improvement? And then through a very fortuitous accident, meet these two entrepreneurs who would later become my business partners. And they told me, Look, you're coming to the world with your handout. If you really want to be a filmmaker, you have to learn to control the resources. So come with us, get rich, which was a promise that I'd made to myself when I was a kid that one day I was going to be rich. So here are these guys that are telling me that I can learn to be an entrepreneur. And I thought, Whoa. So went, did that, ends up being a 15 year journey uh, of learning to be an entrepreneur. I end up becoming very, very successful at that, that really showed me the level to which if you put in just an obscene amount of work, and it's very pointed at a goal that you're very intentional and very specific that you truly can go from knowing absolutely nothing, having no instincts, whatsoever, because I have zero entrepreneurial instincts. And I had to train them all. But in doing that, I fundamentally altered my belief system and my skill set and everything and was able to execute at the highest levels of business.
1: Yeah, man, you you just dropped so much in there. And I actually am going to talk about your childhood commitment to be ripped and rich in a minute. I, I, I actually had already made a note to talk about that. But one of the things that you just said that I don't want people to miss out on is when you were in film school, you graduated, and then that's when you decided you were going to start learning about filmmaking. Because and that's the true whether it's it's somebody starting a business, somebody in creation mode that doesn't have that wisdom or experience. There we can we can become so fixated on the output that we totally ignore the input, right? The learning the knowledge acquisition and it's such it's like this this carrot that that just dangles out in front of us that causes us to lose sight of what's really required in order to get the output that we really want which is to ultimately fulfill our potential and in the process be fulfilled and we have to do the work necessary to get there and there's a lot of sacrifices involved along the way no question you know you talk a lot about the fact that when you were a kid you you grew up in this morbidly obese family and were you a chubby kid yourself growing up when you were little i,
0: I that's the right word i was chubby and and honestly not by today's standards by the standards of the early 90s yes but just the in, you know in the last twenty years things have changed so profoundly. Um but yeah, I was actually called chubby, so that yeah, gives you an you know,
1: idea. No, I was I shopped in the husky section. <laughs> as a kid, nice.
0: So. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was uh I was two hundred pounds by the time I was fourteen, I think. Oh wow, okay. Um, and I wasn't as tall as I am now, but it wasn't like a, a part of my identity or anything. I wasn't scarred by it by any means, but it was, yeah, I never took my shirt off. I always sucked in my gut, you know, it was something like that. I
1: mean, I definitely can relate to that as I grew up as a chubby kid and it's still something today that I, I still struggle with in terms of my own mental. Sometimes I see that fat kid because I got bullied quite a bit. and and so it's something I still kind of cringe at a little bit. And even when I, when I encounter people who are adults, sometimes even my own family members, who are not making positive decisions with their eating habits and their nutrition habits, I have a hard time with it, like mentally, like and emotionally, too. One of my least favorite pictures of myself is me sitting at a piano when I was doing piano lessons, and my T-shirt is stuck in my fat rolls you know, it's,
0: I know the feeling,
1: <laughs> but you know, you, so you made this commitment to be, to be ripped and rich. And as a former fat kid and as a dude, I totally get the ripped part. Right. But what, but why the rich part and how has your position on money changed from the time you were a kid to now? <sighs>
0: Yeah, in, very interesting. So, when, why rich? So, growing up in the 80s, that was like the backdrop of everything, it was like every 80s movie was set in like um, upper middle class suburban Chicago, right? All the John Hughes stuff. It, everybody had like this big, beautiful house and um, nice cars. And that just seemed like so obvious that everybody would want that. Like, it never occurred to me that that wasn't a universal desire. So, it it really spoke to me when I thought about the things that I wanted to do with my life, they were going to require money. And when I looked at the things that I really loved, so filmmaking, poetry, I always ran them through the filter of, can they also make me rich? So, growing up in the 80s, filmmaking was like the way to get rich. Like, it was being a movie star, being a director it just seemed like, oh man, if you ever did anything in film and TV, people just assumed you were rich. Like That was the, the view of it. So I was like, wow, how amazing that this thing that I love, filmmaking, can actually also solve another goal for me, which is to get rich. So that was just a no-brainer for me. No one ever had to convince me to want that. It just, yep, it, it made total sense. There's so much control and power and all that uh, in money. Now, the way that my vision of money has changed, I assumed that I was going to feel about myself the way that I felt about people who were wealthy that I looked up to, I admired. Um, I thought I would then feel that way about myself and that instantly my insecurities and self-doubt and all that would go away. And I'm here to tell you right now that the moment of generating wealth in your life is like having uh, the greatest bowl of ice cream you've ever had. It's awesome. And you're going to be like, this is amazing. And then it will wear off very rapidly, more rapidly than you can imagine. And the other thing is that you do not feel any differently about yourself at all. Money cannot affect the way that you feel about yourself. So you're going to have to do all that hard work regardless. Now, having said that, money is more powerful than I thought it was as a kid. Its ability to facilitate is Unparalleled by anything. It is incredible. And people are always going to chase money and they're going to chase it because it's real. So when I look at Bill Gates and what he's doing with malaria, I actually think he's going to cure malaria, but he's only going to be able to do it because he has access to. Massive resources. So he can do the trial and error. He can do things at scale. It's really, really incredible. But if you don't know what you want to do with money, the irony is money is inert. It doesn't do anything in and of itself. So once you have a compelling vision of what you want to do with that money, that's when it gets interesting. That's when it becomes this really empowering, amazing force that lets you stay in control, lets you be self-directed. And if you have the willingness to really figure out what you need to do to effectively execute, and if you understand business principles so that your money is not a one-way street, it's not just spend, 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 that you know how to create self-generating economic vehicles, aka businesses, when you can do that, the business can support itself. You're selling value. You made the demand that your company serves other people, that you sell value, like, dude, then you get in this really amazing loop of the money is insanely powerful because it's facilitating your dream. Your dream is to be of service to other people. Your only focus is to sell value. It's not actually the, your primary focus, I should say, is not actually to generate profits, it's to deliver value. Now, you know that you need the profits in order to continue delivering value, so it, it becomes a virtuous cycle. But money in and of itself is not negative. Anybody that thinks like that, they're holding themselves back It, it, that scares me the way that people think about money scares me, but it, you know, it's a double-edged sword. You can use it to be a dick. You can use it to take advantage of people. You can facilitate an ugly dream. But now in this hyper-connected, very social world, there's nowhere for people like that to hide. And so it becomes fascinating where we're living through this time where the most powerful and potent marketing vehicle is to be 100% authentic and transparent and do the right thing and people now can reward you for that by telling other people about your company your service the thing that you're doing and really say like i think this this is a good person like the thing the core thing driving this business their mission is positive it's value add to the world and now people will support you just because they get on board with that mission so none of that did i understand as a kid to me money was in the beginning merely about the big house the nice car the all the materialistic possessions. Now that is very, While well, it's still there. I still think that all that stuff's amazing. It's very low on my list.
1: This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580 275 2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. You know, you are kind of the uh, antithetical voice to everything else that's being promoted in the entrepreneurial world in that regard like you know there's a ton of online influencers and marketers who who their their very first your very first encounter with them is oh hey here i am in my garage with my lambo and or hey i'm getting on my jet plane again and i'm not knocking those people but they're they're promoting this 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 lifestyle that it's all about the toys right and so I don't believe that the masses actually want that. I believe that they want the toys, but because we all like toys and fast cars and being able to go on trips and whatever, there's nothing wrong with that. But I don't believe that people want inherently that they want to lead that way, but yet they've adopted and bought into this fallacy that that's what it's all about. So especially since you talked about social media, how would you coach somebody to rid themselves of that kind of poison. Cause I, I do think it poisons the entrepreneurial culture.
0: It's interesting. I don't know that I'll agree that it poisons a culture, but here's the fundamental problem. The money isn't guaranteed, but the struggle is. So it's an, it's a very attractive, offering that people make. So I would have fallen prey to it. I fell prey to like every get rich quick scheme you can imagine because the notion of in the next 18 months to be able to fundamentally change my financial situation and be on private jets and have a big house and a fast car and knowing how much adoration you get from that, which by the way, you would get like, those are all real things. And they know that because They adore those people, right? The problem is not going to change how they feel about themselves. So the adoration becomes empty, but they can't predict that. So I get it. I get why they chase it. And I get, you know, I I have compassion for myself for why I fell prey to those same things. So if I were um, an entrepreneur and my highest value was the generation of wealth, then what they're doing makes a lot of sense because every post they do becomes a sales vehicle. Now, I just have a fundamentally different desired outcome in my life. So my like driving force in life is fulfillment. So fulfillment is the game that I'm playing. So I always tell people the game you're playing isn't money. The game you're playing is not success. The game you're playing is brain chemistry. So I could give you $7.4 billion. If you hate yourself and want to commit suicide, what good is the money? And conversely, if you have $0, but you feel a deep sense of awe, contentment, Joy. Like, what do you care that you don't have? You literally don't. Like, by definition, you don't care. So people need to really understand the game. The game is brain chemistry. The game is how you feel about yourself. So I know that. That's what I'm about. But one of the things that really drives me that I am, I am just literally live in a state. I have the chills thinking about it is the ability to help people at scale. I love that. That moment of awakening where someone realizes, right? Me saying, I want to pull people out of the matrix. The moment they realize those limiting beliefs are just that, they're limiting beliefs, and they can choose to believe something new. And once they choose that and are willing to acquire the skills, they can actually impact themselves and the world in a real, tangible, measurable way, all because they've done the hard work of like really figuring out skill set and acquiring skills and then putting that to the use. So, okay, that's the game I'm playing. I am very clear because I learned the hard way. I'm very clear that that's the game that I want to play. So now as a social influencer, I go out there and I say, okay, I'm not going to get like the people that you're mentioning, they're doing an amazing job and I don't want to take anything away. I really want to look at and say like, they're, they're doing some really impressive stuff in terms of Acquiring a very large network of people. Okay, so they have massive influence over a lot of people. But what I see is that influence will diminish over time. The reason it will diminish over time is you can't help but feel that they're trying to sell you something. So it's just a a part of human psychology that their fan base is gonna dip in and gonna dip out. And there's gonna be very few people that stay with them for the long run because they're not showing them how to develop their mindset to survive the hard times and the transition from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset, right? They're selling a certain lifestyle, but to get to that lifestyle, A, you may never get to it. B, in the struggle, it may get so hard that you burn out, become jaded, whatever, trying to get to the other side if you don't ever switch away from doing it for the wealth. But if in that, I can teach people how to shift their mindset so it stops being about the wealth and it starts being about the actual impact that you want to have on the world. Now that, even if you're failing, that could be beautiful, right? When people say, "Oh, if I can just impact one person, that's enough. But that one person, that feels really good. And that gives you the energy to then go, to the next person. Because let me tell you, if in week three, you impacted one person's life and for the next 30 years, you didn't help anybody, you'll be miserable, guaranteed. But if at week three, you help that one person, whoa, and then you'll work your ass off for the next three weeks to get to that next person. And then the next, as long as you feel like, whoa, what I'm doing is helping people. And then if you're the next time it's two people, the next time it's four people, and then it's eight, like that Dude, people really get behind that because it feels so good. And you see the real impact you're having on people's lives. So I get it. The method that I'm using, which is, dude, I wanna change you as a human being. I want you to see you really can do anything. I wanna create a support system around you to make sure that you can then execute against that. I'm gonna give you the no bullshit answers. Like, you're gonna to have to do hard ass work, plain and simple. But you're also gonna see the real me, you're gonna see who I really am. I'm gonna be super authentic. So that people can connect with me. It's going to be slower because I'm not promising you any quick fix. I'm going to gather those people on a longer time frame. but the people that I gather will fight mm-hmm. for me. And that, that, when you think now on a long timeline, mm-hmm. when you think 10 years, what does this look like in 20 years? What does it look like in 30 years? Now, all of a sudden, you've got a real sustainable base. So I'll give you an example, Tony Robbins, right? Just been at it, telling people real stuff. If you take Tony's advice, it will actually improve your life. That's just real. That's Tony. So now you have people like me, I've been following Tony for 20 plus years and I'm talking about him. And I'm now building my platform, but every now and then like he comes up because, oh yeah, that's a lesson that I learned from him. It was super real. It may have taken me a long time to get there to make it usable. But oh, by the way, I'm, I'm still giving credit to this guy. So now he's got this mass amount of people that are succeeding at a ridiculously high level that are pointing back and going, he's the man. So you want to be in that position. You don't want to be in the position where people are sort of discounting you because the way that you're doing it is a little mm-hmm. douchey.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, and, and what you it, you just talked about without even realizing it is that you are kind of in, in a way, no, not in a way, you are assuming the role of Morpheus in a lot of people's lives in the sense that you are helping show them what they're capable of before they even believe it. And, and I'd love to know who was Morpheus for you or who has been Morpheus. And I'm sure there's been like different versions throughout your life, but who is Morpheus for you right now? Who helps you believe that you're capable of achieving what you are setting out to achieve?
0: Yeah. So very fair that there have been a lot of people in my life that I'm absurdly grateful to, you, but the one person that's just impacted my life on a level I will never be able to thank her for is my wife. And, and I say that because in the moments where I did not believe in myself, she believed in me in a very meaningful way that she could articulate. So I liken it to when something knocks you to your knees, who's the person that, that they don't get on their knees with you, put an arm around you, and tell you everything is going to be okay? Rather, they extend a hand, they pick you back up, they brush you off, they remind you of who you're trying to become, and they help you paint that vision of how you're gonna get there. And that's just been my wife. And she is the single most transformative person in my life.
1: What is an example of, of a way that she's done that for you?
0: So there were when I went in. And so at about year six of my entrepreneurial journey, I absolutely despised my life. And there was, I just realized like money isn't worth this. Like this is so torturous. Nothing about my life feels like a real expression of who I am. I'm not doing anything on a daily basis that makes me feel more alive. All I do every day is think about how I'm going to get rich. This is so torturous. Like there's no point. And that was when I realized the game you're playing is brain chemistry. And in that moment, I, I went to my wife and I said, "I want to um, quit being an entrepreneur, and what I want to do is go back into film and really like do something with this." And she said, "The single most powerful thing that any human being has ever said to me ever." And she said, "I bet on you." Mm-hmm. And what she meant by that was, "I know you'll do the work to figure out what you need to do to build this." And of course I mean, it ends up being years and years later because I, when I went in and quit, my partners were like, we could do this without you, but we don't want to. Gave me something more than the money to connect to. Totally transforms the way that we approach business. That becomes Quest, which is all mission-based, all that. So there's this whole revolution in there uh, that ends up actually being the thing that financially liberated me. But it came from that moment with my wife where she said, I bet on you. And so then everything was about, okay, well, if I'm gonna continue business, what does that have to look like? has to be mission-based, got to be focused on loving what I'm doing on a daily basis. It's got to make me feel like I'm coming alive. It's got to be of service to other people. It's got to be all about value creation, like all the things that end up being the ethos that allow Quest to blow up. But it really did start in a moment of emotional crisis that my wife helped me through. And she reminded me that if I have the right mentality about how to approach this problem, whether I go back to film or whether I go back into business, that doesn't matter. She believed that I could solve the problem. And that's she was powerful. Like, that's powerful.
1: And you know, if if people want to go back and hear more about the the Quest story, they can go back and listen to episode seventeen and 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 dive in deep on how Quest grew fifty seven thousand percent in two years and became number two on the Inc. five hundreds and an an incredible story of how that came to be. I want to go back to the the Solari character. That's how you say his name, right? Solari or Soli area, oh, yeah. yeah. So you know, people often stop before they even start, and a lot of it is because they look around at the world around them and they say, "Oh well, Lewis Howes has already done this, or Tom Billie has already done this, and they're they're smarter than me, and I'm just I'm one step behind, and so I guess I'm just not going to do anything." It's either something along those lines, or it's a fear, a fear of actually maybe failing, or even a fear of what if this actually succeeds? What's going to happen and how am I going to handle that? So how do you coach people through that fear and just walking through it?
0: Well, the interesting thing is it's that's all fear, right? That's just shades of fear. So um, you're making me extraordinary by saying, oh, well, Tom's already done this and he's smarter than me. He's better than me, whatever. You're making me extraordinary to let you off the hook because... The fear is that you're gonna actually give a shit and actually try and then face that you're just inadequate and you're not good enough. When in reality, it's just all about really, really hard work. And if you're willing to set yourself on that path, do the hard work, except that it may take you 10, 15, 20 years to get that good, like keep in mind, I've been working on my speaking skills since the seventh grade, like pointedly working on my speaking skills since the seventh grade. So that that became my thing. I was trying to differentiate myself from my sister, who was very good at sports, and I was very bad at sports. And so just as a way to have my own identity, I got into like speech, debate, drama, all those things where I had to learn to articulate and get my thoughts down and be able to research and learn an idea and defend an idea and like just learning critical thinking skills and all that stuff. I've been pursuing for a long time. So if you're willing to put in the work that I've put in, then you can get the results that I've gotten. But most people just aren't willing to do that. They're not willing to suffer. They're not willing to give things up. They're not willing to accept that Yes, you have the same latent potential that I had. You just have to put in the work. Because when you can look at Michael Jordan and say, oh man, like he's just better than me, then you don't have to try, right? It's actually wonderful. So once people realize, nope, that's a limiting belief, and that if I wanted to get as good as Jordan, then I would need to go do a lot. A lot of hard work. And literally, don't tell me that you can't get as good as Jordan until you've gone, you've pushed your natural gifts to the absolute bleeding edge, like emotional breaking point humanly possible. Most people say that from like never having practiced or only played in high school. You know, it's like, it's so crazy. You might be right. Maybe you never will be as good as Jordan without doing the things that I talked about in the beginning of the episode where it's like, you know, making yourself taller, changing your fast twitch muscles, like figuring out how at a like molecular level to adjust yourself. Sure. Then, if you're not interested in putting in that kind of effort, maybe you never will be as good as Jordan. But to not even try is just well. I mean, Jordan.
1: I mean, he. You know, he himself he could have easily believed that he wasn't going to be good enough because that's what everyone else told him. Yet he didn't believe that. He just practiced and he worked harder than anybody, everybody else. And I think that that's the bottom line. Is that somebody told me recently that our brains are the most weak organism in our body if we allow it to be because. It's going to do the least amount of work possible just to keep us alive and and keep itself comfortable, which means that we're not going to do a lot of hard work unless we decide to and make that choice. And I interviewed uh, Lou Holtz a while ago, and one of the things he said to me was, "You know, Mike, there's 422,000 words in the English vocabulary, and the most important word among them is the word choice." and blew my mind because it's so powerful it's so easy but yet the easy things are the hardest to do often which i'm sure transitioning from quest which was this which was your baby i mean you built this company along with your partners to save your mom and your sister and so you 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 hit this peak and then it like was a stepping stone into impact theory, love the name by the way, but it it could not have been, an. maybe I'm assuming, and you know what they say about assumptions, but I would imagine that it was a very difficult decision to step aside from Quest and to go fully into impact theory.
0: Yeah, I mean, yes and no. So it was- I think the hard part for me was realizing that the brand was not flexible enough to be a real platform company, which um, we had all hoped that it would be. And so I think all of us in the beginning thought this is going to be our forever company. And then for that to be true for me, it had to be able to encompass the body and the mind. And so Impact Theory started as Inside Quest. And that was going to be the exact same thing, freeing people from the matrix um using content to really have global impact and then it just became like more and more apparent that people thought of us as a protein bar company they thought it was very weird that a protein bar company was doing all this like content mind stuff so it was just a disconnect and then I was willing to continue to invest and do all that just because like, this is core to my existence. It, it must be for me to live the life that I want to live. Um, but it would have been unfair to drag my partners along into that. So we just didn't share a vision anymore. And thankfully, we'd been so successful that we could do whatever we wanted. And so we no longer had to like, Cling together like people on a life raft. It was okay. Well, now we're at a point where it's like, if you want to go do that, man, like more power to you. We wish you the best. And so, at by that point, by the time I realized I'm never going to be able to really make come true all the things that I want to make come true, my partners don't want to be drug along into that anyway. Like it just made sense at that point. So, when the moment came, that wasn't hard, but leading up to that, the sort of Really reflecting and realizing, sort of the the truth of that very successful business also came with a restriction of what my future was going to be. That that was yeah. sad. Um, yeah. But you know, if look, if I had gone into it knowing, hey, we're going to build this just amazing food company, but it's forever going to be a food company, I still would have done it. I just wouldn't have had to go through that emotional adjustment of realizing this is never going to be all things to all people. Like it serves a purpose, it delivers value in a certain way. Um, And so that gave me a lot, a lot of clarity about how brands really work. Uh, So from that perspective, it was really a powerful lesson.
1: Once the decision was made, you probably felt even more empowered about impact theory and what you were doing in your mission because you had this new clarity and a new complete focus there you weren't split in any way for sure that and i knew how to
0: to really build um a broad brand from the word jump so that that was a really powerful lesson so yeah we literally it was like um my last day at quest and then my first day at impact three was the very next day so i mean it was just hit the ground running total clarity total focus knew what we were doing
1: so the number one thing. To build a brand, quote unquote, fast or in an accelerated way, from point point A to point Z or wherever you're at now. So, like, if you were to, if you were, if some, you were coaching somebody and they say, "I want to launch this this great brand, a platform, or whatever," what would be the first thing you would say that they need to do? They need to have a mission.
0: So, you need to know what it is that your company is trying to accomplish. So, Simon Sinek, wrote the amazing book, start with why that's gonna be the thing that's gonna be your filter. It's gonna be the determining factor for what you say yes to, what you say no to. They say that you know, 85% of business is knowing what not to do. So the only way you know what not to do is when you know exactly what you're trying to accomplish. So we started with, okay, I wanna pull people out of the matrix, and only from working backwards did we end up at, okay, we're gonna to need to build a studio. So the reason that I moved forward with that idea is because it was the thing that aligned wanting what I really want to do and the thing that I have the most juice for. Like, I I get a much bigger reaction out of pulling people out of the Matrix than I do movie making. So if the answer to pulling people out of the Matrix had been something else, I would have done that something else. It's only because, oh, I was like, wow, this is so crazy that it really, and I'm talking from like a, the research coming out on the brain, uh, fundamental things of the human condition that we've been talking about for millennia. I mean, the hero's journey, like all of that stuff. You know, Joseph Campbell wrote the book, The Power of Myth, looking at the one universal story that every culture across time, always and forever has told themselves about going from essentially a fixed mindset, believing that you're too weak to accomplish something, to going on this amazing journey, to realizing that you are actually a hero. You come back and then you teach the rest of your tribe. I mean. This company is about facilitating the hero's journey. So um, using narrative was a natural outcropping of the way that human beings assimilate truly disruptive information. It wasn't like me cramming something into it because I happened to like it. Um, so that's really important to understand what your why is and then ask, what does my why demand? And then just execute against that. Mm.
1: You know, you, you mentioned uh, the importance your, uh, your uh, wife Lisa's played in your life, the role that she's played in your life. And one of the things you do on, your podcast with her is the relationship theory segments, which I think are really unique and vulnerable and very very authentic and and special. I'd be curious to to learn if there was if there's been anything surprising or something that you guys have learned about each other in the process of doing those segments.
0: Yeah, like we're routinely surprised by how we actually aren't sure how the other one is going to answer a question. I mean, we before we started doing relationship theory, we really thought there's just there's practically no question we can ask each other to which we couldn't predict the answer. And then we started getting like all these really unique questions coming in from the community and realized, whoa, like they're still so many things about each other that we get to discover from doing the show and that sometimes it's just sort of therapeutic for us to like talk about like what process we're using and how we work through an issue it's yeah it's been really really interesting and to hear like how like important or dire or scary a given situation was for one of us where it's like whoa i didn't realize when we were going through that 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 was like i was close i sort of knew 70% of what you were going through there's this huge 30% chunk that like I totally underestimated or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's been really neat.
1: What was it? Was it, what's an example of where that happened, where she's re- something that she had gone through that you didn't think was that big of a deal, uh, surprised you and, and came to light in that situation.
0: Um, so the, the one that comes closest to that, when she was going through her health problems, to be honest, I didn't understand how much she was upset with me for not solving the problem faster. Mm. And I knew it bothered her, but I didn't know just like how much she was going through, sort of looking back at me saying, hey, you're really failing me in this. Now, in that, she's realized that that was unfair of her, even though I actually think that that's absolutely right by the code that I live by. Um, But she doesn't feel that that's a reasonable thing to expect of your partner and that she should have taken more ownership of all that and been sort of more understanding. But it was really interesting to hear like, okay, this was even, like I knew this was one of the biggest things we were going through. And I didn't even know how big and how scary and how important and how um, she still didn't feel like I was doing enough. And I felt like I was killing myself. So it was like really... Really important, I'll say. Actually, to discover the the depths to which that experience was um, transformative in our relationship, and for both of us, and and to really get into those sort of dark little corners. So did
1: it come down to like ultimately at the end of the day, more commu- air on the side of more communication in that regard, more conversation, more? Um,
0: it's it's actually a much more complicated answer than that. the The truth is. I needed to recognize, she needed to better communicate how scary it was for her. So she was trying to be tough and in trying to be tough, she wasn't letting me know how scary it was. But at the same time, she then resented me for not acting like it's the scariest thing she's ever been through, but she's not telling me that. So it it was this weird push-pull. And then also, I really should have recognized right from the jump, I need to become a world-class expert in this Mm. and made that demand of myself. Mm. And so, which is exactly what I'm doing now. But at the time, it was like, the notion of the microbiome was such a big, terrifying world that I knew so little about that it was running a business and doing all the things that I was doing, it was so overwhelming that I thought, I need to just be able to trust the doctors and go and learn from them. But that process really taught me, um, doctors, while well-meaning, the system is just not set up for that kind of thing, and and they almost can't help at all. And so you really have to take it upon yourself to become a world-class expert Um, to the point where, and and look, this is super self-aggrandizing, but I'll just tell you, this is the kind of metric that I hold myself to. I was at this dinner, I was sitting next to uh, a world-class medical doctor who was at the dinner because he's a world-class medical doctor. And I got into this um, long conversation with somebody about the microbiome and all the things that I was learning. And the doctor looked at me and he was like, you know more about medicine than most doctors. (laughs) And I thought, okay, that's it, right? That's the beginning. That's that first step of I'm taking this so seriously, and I spend so much of my time researching it that I really do know more about that area, to be fair, yeah, yeah. Um, know more about that area than most of the people in, in medicine. <laughs> so, And I know, obviously, way, way, way less. Than doctors who've made that their career, which is called functional medicine. Um, so I'm I'm absolutely infantile in functional medicine when compared to a functional medicine specialist, but compared to somebody in the space that probably should know about it, um, I've already like now if we went back through the process, I wouldn't even go to uh, like the any of the doctors that we went to because I would just know, given their workload, they're they're not going to know about this. Do
1: stuff. you remember what episode that was where you guys had that conversation about her health crisis? Man, I don't. I okay, don't. I'll have to go back and look look it up, but I want to include that in the show notes because I think it would be a really powerful example to give a look, people a little taste of that. Uh, just a few more questions, but before we do that, I want to make sure we give people the opportunity to connect with you and interact with you. So where would you send them to learn everything about impact theory and connect with you and all, all the amazing stuff that you're up to?
0: At Tom Billu, so across all socials: YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. All the shows actually release on my um, my channels. So you would go to forward slash Tom Billu on YouTube uh, for Impact Theory, Relationship Theory, After Impact, all the shows that we're doing. Um, and then just to get my insights on entrepreneurism, you can go to um, Instagram and Facebook. Those are probably the two best places for the short stuff.
1: And I know you're all, you're always interested in in meeting up or or learning about new and innovative, disruptive technologies or companies. If someone wanted to reach out to you and, and build a relationship in that regard, how would they do that?
0: The best way is to really probably DM me on Instagram. That's the that's probably the best place. Um, and if you're not getting a response there, send an email to connect at impacttheory.com I tried to, I don't check email by the way so don't ever bother emailing me like you can guess my email address, send me an email. The only thing I can guarantee is if you do that I will never see it. Uh, I have a pathological aversion to email um, and I think people think I'm kidding about that I do not check email um, and then yeah I try to answer everything on that comes in socially but. It, you know it's it's hard to hit everything but um we also do meetups by the way so if you're watch my facebook page we announce the meetups that I'm going to be at and I'll stay and answer questions as long as there are questions so I've stayed and answered questions for up to 8 hours um literally just standing there and answering questions so come see me in person and you're guaranteed to get your questions answered
1: if uh if you could pick any skill set that you currently possess i asked you this question a different way when we did episode 17 way back when but so i'm so i'm asking it in a new way if you could pick any skill set you currently possess and turn it into a superpower what would it be oh learning obscenely fast uh
0: actually a variation on that would be to remember everything i learned mm. If I could remember everything I learned, oh my God, that would be a super. Yeah, I know powerful. you
1: know Jim Quick, right? I mean, that guy's got, I mean, yeah. his methodology for his memory training is is phenomenal. What are three lies that you believe entrepreneurs or high achievers or or just human beings tell themselves that prevent them from realizing their potential? Um, that really boils
0: down to one simple thing for me. People put a cap on what they're capable of and they do it in a thousand subtle little ways. So just like in real estate, it's location, 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 and this it's belief, belief, belief. And again, it's learning to believe that you can learn something, not believing that you already know how to do it. That's powerful. That's powerful.
1: Last question is based on a book uh, by uh, Clay Christensen. Uh, who wrote the book, "How will you measure your life and that is the question, so how will Tom bill you measure his life
0: the The honest answer is, do I have a deep and abiding sense of fulfillment now, what gives me that fulfillment right now that is helping other people escape the matrix to really find fulfillment in their own life um, that that 's what drives mm, me
1: it 's powerful Tom dude, this was a, a fun conversation so much i mean so much depth and and Rich, and we covered a lot of different areas. So I want to thank you for your time and uh, look forward to sharing this with the world in a, in a couple weeks. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Don't forget about the awesome gifts I have for you. Head over to theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash scorecard to download the Clarity of Purpose scorecard and the six bridges to personal growth and well being today. Do it right now. Hit pause. Go. Tom, thank you for joining us again on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. This was such a powerful conversation full of a lot of hard truths, including that success often happens over the course of years, maybe even decades, and requires a ton of hard work, which most people are not willing to take on because it requires people to suffer, to give things up, and to accept long periods of hard work. But the question we have for you, my friends, my listeners, is will you let fear prevent you from creating a massive impact? If you missed any of the key points from my conversation with Tom, we've got you covered over at the impactentrepreneur.net forward slash 76 for the key points and the highlights. While you're there, be sure to check out the Lot Marketing Group and Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them. Now, until next time, go make an impact.